Hello, welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me at liveto110.com. And be sure to check out the brand new mineralpower.com. That side's going up pretty soon. Mineral Power is my healing and detox program that I use to heal my own health and that I use to help detox clients and reverse their health symptoms and diseases. Today we have Dr. Jen Landa on the podcast, and she's going to be talking about how to rewire your desire and how to get your libido back, get your mojo back. Um, I know a lot of women, including myself at one time, um, really struggle with their libido and wonder how on earth are they going to be able to ignite their libido so that they can be the woman they want to be in their relationship and desire their partners, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're going to be talking about all the tips and tricks to how to increase your libido on the show today. Please keep in mind that this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. And I'm so thrilled that my supplement line, Bio Rehab, is finally available on Amazon. You can go find that at uh, Amazon.com. Just search for Liver Rehab. That's my flagship product uh, that I designed because I think liver health is so, so important for many people that are trying to heal their health and reverse their health conditions. Your liver has to be able to work and detox your body and break down fats and make proper amounts of cholesterol, etc. Etc. Um, so it's so important to support liver function, and that's why I spent a few months uh, developing the formula for liver rehab. So just search for that on Amazon, liver rehab or bio rehab. Our guest today is Dr. Jen Landa. Uh, she is a respected authority on the subject of women's health, hormones, and functional and regenerative medicine. As author of The Sex Drive Solution for Women, uh, co-written with Virginia Hopkins, and creator of the Rewire Your Desire in Three Weeks to Endless Energy programs, she has helped thousands of women regain their health, energy, and sex drive. Dr. Jen specializes in helping women and men balance their hormones, restore their energy, and replenish their sex lives. At the heart of her practice is the belief that maintaining one's health is hard work. That's my motto as well. And she encourages her patients to make lifestyle changes that will result in increased health and energy. Dr. Jen is a frequent contributor to the media with appearances in Cosmopolitan, Men's Health Magazine, and the Dr. Oz Show, as well as a regular medical column on Fox News, to name just a few. Dr. Landa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Wendy. I'm excited to be here with you. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and your own health journey? Sure. So I'm trained as an OBGYN, and it was really only a couple of years into my being an OBGYN that I started to notice that I was having my own health challenges. As a matter of fact, it was in my last year of my residency. I was only married for three years, and I was only 28 years old. And the first thing I noticed was that I lost my sex drive just completely gone. You know, of course it didn't happen overnight. You know, if I look back, it happened kind of slowly over some months and I, you know, started avoiding sex and, you know, kind of sneaking into the bed early and perfecting the perfect snore (laughs) (laughs) so that my husband wouldn't, would know not to bother me basically. But then one time I remember we were on vacation 
And vacation had been a time where we would normally have more sex because, you know, we were more relaxed and whatever. And so we're on vacation and, you know, we were, we were in Colorado and we were in the mountains and there was a fire in the fireplace and the music was playing and the candles were lit and everything was just perfect. Right. And no matter what, I was just willing myself inside my head to try to get excited or, you know, something going and and nothing was happening. And that was... And it was awful. And that was when my husband finally, like it had been the elephant in the room for months. Like neither one of us, we knew what was going on, but nobody was talking about it. And finally he just goes, what is going on with you? Aren't, aren't you attracted to me anymore? Aren't, aren't you in love with me anymore? And I was like, I looked at him like, yeah, you know, I love you and you're fine. It's, it's me. I'm, I felt like I was broken and like there was something wrong with me. And And the worst part for me was as an OBGYN, I didn't have any idea how to fix it. So, you know, I checked some of the usual things and plotted along. And and the worst, on top of that, I felt so lonely because there wasn't really anybody to ask. It wasn't like I was taught this. In in OBGYN training, nobody told me how to handle a woman losing her sex drive. And so... I felt like, well, if I didn't know how to solve it, who was going to know how to solve it? So I kind of just plotted along and, you know, we, we plotted along together and, and we finally got pregnant and then got pregnant again. And things just went from bad to worse, really. I mean, I, not only after a while had I lost my sex drive, but then I really started to lose my energy and my get up and go. And I started to just live this life where I was like a mom and I was wearing mom jeans and I got a mom haircut, <laughs> mom bathing suits. I mean, it was really like I started not to be me almost anymore. And I didn't want to, I felt guilty like as a mom, cause I didn't want to play with the kids. I was exhausted all the time. And, and then it really hit me when I, I lost my nerve. I lost my ability to handle stress. And stress was kind of one of the things I liked about being an OBGYN. You know, I would, I liked that things usually went really well, but when they didn't, that I could kind of run in, save the day, do the emergency C-section. But this one time I remember I was in the hospital, had just done an emergency C-section and I was so overwhelmed. I just put my head down on the desk at the nurse's station and I bawled my eyes out because I had just had it. I was here I was, I was like guilty and, and it felt like I was a terrible wife. I felt like I was a terrible mom. And then I felt like I wasn't, couldn't do my job. So what was I good at anymore? And what, what did I have left? And, and it was kind of this desperate point where I, I just knew I had to change something. So I changed a lot of things. Actually, I stopped practicing as an OBGYN. I, I actually moved my whole family from New York to Florida <laughs> And I started doing training in functional medicine. And that's when I started to learn about bioidentical hormones. I started to learn about nutrition, supplements, um, exercise, and just all kinds of things that I could do in a natural way that I, where I could really help myself beyond what I had learned. And really what I had learned about hormones was just amazing because it was so much more this is terrible to say, but it was really a lot more than I had learned as an OBGYN. So I was really thankful for my training as an OBGYN because it really prepared me to understand the next steps. But it wasn't until I went deeper with that information that I was able to see how to help myself. And then I learned how to help 
my patients. And slowly but surely, I saw that this other way was really doing a lot more good than all the prescriptions I could throw at myself or a patient. And, you know, then got to be really where I can say now I really do feel like a women's health expert and I teach other doctors all around the world what I do. And I'm, I feel so fortunate to have found this other pathway to healing. Yes. And I, I totally agree. I, at one point had completely lost my libido and, um, I had actually never had one because I was been on the birth control pill for 25 years before I mm-hmm. destroyed mm-hmm. my libido. I found out later. And, uh, then at one yes. point I, uh, you know, it's, Ask my OBGYN, um, what can I do to increase my libido? And they just automatically give you testosterone cream, which didn't really work for me. But I think that's what a lot of OBGYNs are doing when they're invariably asked by a lot of their patients how to increase my libido. So I love what you're doing to help women who've lost their fire and lost their sex drive um, to balance their hormone level levels and make up, you know, make over their moods and, and whatnot. Can you explain a little bit more about how you work with women to naturally improve their sex drive? Sure. Yeah. Well, So my story was very similar to yours. I was on birth control pills for years and years and years. And that really was a big part of what stole my sex drive. Not only that, but led me to exhaustion and even losing my, my nerve and my ability to kind of do surgery and and deliveries and all of that stuff. So, so when I look at, you know, so it's all the same, you know, it's all part of the same continuum. I sort of look at women's health now as, as a pyramid, right? And the basic bottom of the pyramid is just survival. And then the next rungs up, I feel like, are weight loss, mood, and energy. And if you don't have your weight where you, you know, at least where you're happy with it, you find a way to be satisfied with your weight, whatever it is, or your body composition, you know, your muscle and fat balance, your mood and your energy. If you don't have those things, I think sex drive is kind of out of the picture, you know? So I picture sex drive as kind of the top of the pyramid, Yes, you know, or I say sometimes it's like the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake, you know? And so in that way, it's kind of the first thing to go and it can be one of the last things to come back. And I think we've really got to work through those other things. So when I started out trying to address on a greater scale, you know, trying to really see if I could help, you know, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of women, I started with the sex drive part because that was the part, I guess, that that where I started, you know, that was where I started my journey. But what I realized after a while, after I wrote a book on it and everything, I realized that if I didn't help women with their energy, that that was really the crux of the matter. Most women just say, I'm too freaking tired. I'd personally rather sleep than have sex and period. So I realized that I think, at least for me, a lot of what I do now is really try to help women restore their energy. And that can, you know, happen in so many different ways and in so many different forms. Um, You know, sleep, not sleeping can be one of their biggest issues. And I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with my. <laughs> Let me see if I can zoom it. Oh, yeah, there perfect. We go. I can Fix zoom it. it. I can. Go. Okay. Let's see if it'll stay that way. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, so helping women with their energy, you know, I feel most women have have something going on with their energy. Oh, it happens again. <laughs> camera problems again. Yeah, camera problems again. Hold one see. moment. Maybe I can just tilt it up. Sorry yeah. about this. <laughs> technical difficulty. That's okay. Let's go with that. 
So wh- why are women crashing and losing their spark? So, you know, I think a lot of the reason that we're crashing and losing our spark is is really because of the way modern society is. You know, there are so many demands on women nowadays. I call it the exhaustion epidemic. Ni- 99% of the women I'm seeing are overwhelmed in some way or another. They've got too many responsibilities. You know, really, we're expected to be you know, to be, you know, to start, excel in the workplace. We're expected, the way that we're expected to raise our children now, the whole helicopter parenting thing, you know, if you're not, if you don't have your kid in 10 different activities and you're not on top of them constantly, you feel this pressure that you're not doing enough or you're not doing it right. And that'll overwhelm you whether you are working or not working. And then on top of it, you're expected to be the, you know, Maharaja sexy wife when you get home, you know, and it's just, it's just too much in a lot of ways. But what I find on top of that is, so those are, so that's stress, right? And that's what I would call emotional stress. But what I find on top of that is that there are physical stressors, stressors that are happening every day that we're actually causing to happen in a lot of ways that we're not even aware of. And when you heap all of that emotional stress and all of that physical stress on top of our system, basically our stress system, which was designed for fight or flight, right? We all know that fight or flight response. And when we, you know, the fight or flight system, it was developed for emergencies, right? So if there's an emergency, I'm going to run from the emergency, you know, and either whatever it is is going to get me or I'm going to get away, right? And so now... You know, what are the modern day type of emergencies? If God forbid, you know, some, I guess some purse robber was running after you or you get in a car accident. You know, those those are the modern day, you know, severe emergencies that our fight or flight system is supposed to deal with. The problem is that we're all functioning at 80% car accident all day, every day. And our system just wasn't built for it. So... I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, well, what am I going to do about the fact that society is the way it is or that I have kids and I have a husband and I have a job and I have all these things. So that part may not be so easy to deal with. And, you know, there are definitely tips I have for dealing with some of that too. But what I think I want to focus on today more is what are the physical stressors that you can get off your plate so that you have a little bit more bandwidth left over for that emotional stress. Yeah, I really like that you're trying to focus on women's energy because um, I know for myself, I didn't have a libido, and then I kind of figured out how to fix my health, like my own mineral power program, and it took me about two years to Mm -hmm. heal my adrenal glands before they could start producing sufficient amounts of hormones. And I was like, whoa, what's happening down there? Uh, because I, <laughs> my libido came surging back and I, it was, it was really interesting. And I was like, now I know how men feel. Um, but, because, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I thought maybe it's, uh, I, I was really, really happy though, because, it, uh, it was kind of a, a new thing for me. And I, um, you know, I hear, hear a lot of my girlfriends talking about their libido and everything. And so I was happy that I had kind of finally had developed my own libido. But it took a couple yeah. of years of work of doing the foundational, you know, resting and sleeping and taking supplements and nutrition, et cetera, before that happens. So I see what right. you're saying that it's kind of like the icing on top of the, or the cherry <laughs> on top of the icing on top of the cake, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. 
So I understand that, you know, you've personally experienced, you know, um, you know, losing your spark in this. Um, so how are, you know, hormones related to our, you know, drive, mood, energy and weight? So what you just said, Wendy, is so true, you know, that you have to that you have to work on it step by step and then things come surging back. So I talked about this whole fight or flight system, right? And to get a little sciencey, that's something that we call the HPA axis. You're, I'm sure you're aware of it, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So that's the fight or flight system essentially. And when you're in a fight or flight situation, the HPA axis is upregulated and Sometimes what happens is when you live in that fight or flight situation for 80, you know, 80% car accident all the time, the HPA, the HPA system. Okay. So what it does is it creates adrenaline and it creates cortisol and cortisol is a hormone that we've all heard, right? Too much of it is bad. It will put belly fat on you. It will increase your blood pressure, your blood sugar, all kinds of bad things. It's also toxic to your brain excuse me. So your brain being smart as it is, your brain says, whoa, Wendy, Jen, whoever, you know, this is too much, you know, 80% car accident, not working for you. So, you know, I'm smart. I'm a brain. I'm going to turn down the level that you're able to respond at for this HPA axis. And that's what we've used. We used to call adrenal fatigue. And now we're starting to go into all different kinds of names for it, hypoadrenalism or, but really it's HPA axis dysfunction is really what's happening. And so, but what happens before that is that 80% car accident, that's what we used to call adrenal stress. So that's what I call burning up. When you're burning up, it's when you're, you're firing on all cylinders, but you're so go, go, go. You can't, you can barely relax. You're overwhelmed all the time. You're feeling stressed out. You're craving sugar. You're eating, eating, eating. You're, you're running, running, running all the time. You're a pretty good multitasker, but you may get like, you know, these crashes in the middle of the day and then have to like do caffeine and sugar and then keep go, 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 go. And so that's the initial stage of this HPA axis dysfunction that I called burning up. But then what happens over time is, like I said, the brain is smart. The brain will downregulate your ability to make cortisol, and you'll start to get into categories like burning low and burning out. And when you start burning low and burning out, that's like me when I started to lose my energy and then eventually just cried at the nurse's station because I had no, I had no ability to handle stress anymore. Fight or flight was just my fight got up and went. It was done. I mean, all I wanted to do was sleep all the time. I I felt exhausted all the time. You know, libido, forget about it. That was long, long gone. And, and I see women at these different stages burning up, burning low and burning out all the time in my practice, in my community. And that, that really is what robs women of their mood, their, their libido and all of these things. And one of the big reasons is because the HPA axis, now follow me on this one. There's another axis called the HPG axis, which is the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. So that's the brain telling the ovaries or the testicles in the, in the case of a man to make hormones. And our ovaries make, of course, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. When the fight or flight axis is so overtaxed, it actually shuts down the HPG axis. Because when you think about it, when you're, if you were running from a, an enemy, 
the last thing you would want to be doing is lying down, having sex and creating a baby, reproducing, right? And estrogen, progesterone, testosterone are your reproductive hormones. And unfortunately, we're not really thinking about all of these things and controlling our hormones the way we, believe it or not, we actually could. So when we're in this fight or flight state, it makes it harder and harder to make what I call the yummy hormones. Mm-hmm. And I think of them, I tell people to protect their hormones. It's an acronym. Protect is PR for progesterone, uh, O for oxytocin, T for thyroid, E for estrogen, C for cortisol, and T for testosterone. All of those hormones play a role in all of these different things we're talking about, weight loss, mood, energy, sex, all of it, they all play a role. So when your stress system is haywire, it messes up your hormones and you're not protecting your hormones. Yeah, I've noticed I hope that, that. That was a long answer, but I hope no. that kind of brought it all back together. No, it's very, very good. I was going to say that I, I noticed that with myself, my libido had come back, you know, full force at one point. And then I went through a very stressful three month period and then bye-bye. It was all gone. <laughs> uh-huh. all right, reduced uh, sufficiently. And th- there you go. The minute you're stressed, your libido will reduce. And so I had to make choi- make choices, which I think women, they have to do if they want their libido to come back. You have to learn to say no and reduce your stress levels um, in, in, other, in other areas of your life if you want to have a libido. Because um, I think we're under so many stressors today. I mean, not just physical or emotional stressors. We have heavy metal toxins. We have EMFs or so many different kinds of stressors that we need to be aware of and try to reduce as much as possible. Um, But can you give the listeners about, you know, five tips about how they can, you know, protect, you know, using your acronym, how they can protect your hormones? Yeah. Well, what I want people to understand, can I, can I throw out another acronym? Yes. Right along the lines of what you were just talking about, all these other stressors like EMFs and heavy metals and things that you were saying are coming at us. So I created this other acronym called crash, basically why your, you know, why your energy is crashing, why your mood is crashing, why your sex drive is crashing. So crash basically stands for some of the things that I think are the physical stressors that we're up against that we can kind of get control over. So the first C for crash, the C is just cortisol overload and depletion that I just talked about with burning up and burning out, right? The R is for food reactions and food sensitivities. And I think that is a really big issue that a lot of us are dealing with these days, but a lot of people still have no idea. You know, we hear all about gluten-free and that, this and that, but there really is some truth to that. So we can come back to that if you want. Um, The A is for adrenal toxins. So one of the most common that women are sucking down every day is tons and tons of caffeine. And then, you know, on the flip side, sometimes we're, we're, you know, we're, we're almost doing the up or downer thing, you know, with the caffeine, we're going up and then at night to relax, we do some alcohol to kind of come down. And I've definitely, I have to say, caught myself in that, in my own little world on that whirlwind on that. And I noticed, like you said, you had a three month stressful period. I'll notice just after a weekend away now, you know, if I go away for the weekend and I have too many drinks one night. And then, you know, the next morning I need to function. So I have some coffee. I notice after I do that for a couple of days, uh, 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 mm-hmm. because caffeine and, and alcohol both are adrenal toxins. And then the other one is sugar. And that pretty much brings me to the S, which is the sugar roller coaster. The idea of your blood sugar 
going up and down. So whether it's from eating a sugary food or a carbohydrate-laden food, your blood sugar goes up and then your blood sugar comes down. Your blood sugar coming down, your body sees that as a fight or flight emergency. And it kicks in that whole HPA axis over and over again. And same thing with alcohol and caffeine, by the way. You know, why am I calling them adrenal toxins? It's because they kick the HPA axis in. And unnecessary, you know, I know a lot of people love their caffeine and they don't want to hear that. But, you know, if your energy is perfectly fine all day long and you never have any problems, then fine. Keep your caffeine. And I know there are health benefits to coffee. So you're sitting there going, but Dr. Chen, the, you know, the New York Times says that coffee is healthy and da, da, da. And I get it. I know. But for women who are having trouble with their energy, I think that they would do well to cut back on that because of the way it activates that whole HPA axis. So then, so that was the adrenal toxins, the sugar roller coaster was the S and the H is for hormones. And we kind of talked already about how you have to protect your hormones. So I just, before I got to any tips, I just wanted to sort of explain what, where these tips are coming from. Yeah. And I think it still begs a question that women have to make choices. Do they want to get their sex drive back or do they want their stimulants and relaxants and all the other, uh, you know, yummy things that, you know, prevent <laughs> us from meeting our goals, which for many women is having a healthy sex drive so that they can perform in their relationships. So why don't we go back to the, yeah. the five tips uh, for how women can protect their hormones? Well, and I definitely will do that. But what I want to say, what want to just pick up on what you just said, it's so important that women make this their priority, you know, it's because it's really all about what you're doing every day. It's your habits. It's really just your habits because habits are automatic things that we do every day. And this is all about just changing your habits. So I created a program called three weeks to endless energy because most of us know that it takes three weeks to change a habit right? That's what the research shows. And changing a habit is really just as simple as shining a spotlight on a behavior and making the conscious choice to change it. But to make a conscious choice to change, you've really got to have a why, right? So you want to have a better libido, but why? Because you want to have an amazing relationship with your, with your partner, right? You know, why do you want to get in better shape? You know, more than just because I want to be happy with what I look like when I look in the mirror, maybe, you know, you want to you want to fulfill a lifelong goal of some kind, you know, to to do a, a race, you know, a 5K, you know, complete a 5K, complete a 10K, whatever, climb a mountain, whatever it is. I think it's really important to have a strong why when you're starting out on trying to make these changes. And then so the changes that I think are really important the changes that I ask people to make in my endless energy program, they're five D steps. They all start with D. I try to make everything easy with acronyms or things that start with the same letter to make it really easy. So the first D step is to drink a protein shake in the morning. And I know you might be saying, oh no, I don't like protein shakes or yeah, yeah, I've tried that before. But Honestly, I think it's one of the most important steps. I personally drink a protein shake every morning. I am totally a shake girl. And I have so many of my patients who start their day off with their shake. They call it their power shake. Actually, I have this 88-year-old lady in my practice who calls it her power shake, which I think is just so awesome. And um, the protein shake is so important because, let's face it, breakfast is the hardest meal of the day, I think, to get right. 
because most of us are running into Starbucks and getting a muffin and a frappuccino or something like that. And uh, 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 you're not getting any protein. You're getting high sugar. You're getting bad fats and you want all the opposite. You want low sugar, low carb, good protein, good fats. And that's going to start your day off right. And if you start the day off right, that gives you the right message. It gives your body the right signals to do all the right things for the day. And the protein shake, sorry that the camera keeps jumping. That's okay. (laughs) I'm just trying to follow it. Um. Yeah, and so, I know I know if you if you skip breakfast in the morning, that really puts a big stressor on your adrenal glands and people release you, more cortisol. You you do not want to skip meals if you are trying to heal your not. adrenal glands and your libido. Yeah, well, what happens, Wendy, as you know, overnight you're not eating anything. So because you're essentially fasting, in the morning your blood sugar is really low. And when your blood sugar is low in the morning, your body is hitting that panic button. So if you don't eat breakfast, that is the worst thing that you can do in terms of your weight, your mood, your energy, your libido. It's literally the worst thing you can do skipping breakfast. So whether you're having a high sugar breakfast, low protein breakfast, or whether you're, you know, skip, and especially if you're skipping breakfast with eating breakfast with some protein, with some good fats within an hour of getting up is super important. Now, yes, you could have some eggs or turkey sausage or something like that, low sodium turkey sausage. Yes, you could do some of that, but I just find the shake is so easy. It's quick. You know, I can do it in my car. You can do it on the way to work. You can have it mixed up from the night before and just throw it in the blender that morning. Anyway, and I think they can be truly delicious. You've got to, you know, you've got to find the right shake for you, but I think they can be really awesome. Okay, so that's the first D step. The second D step is D for dine. How you eat, I can't stress it enough how important how you eat is for how your hormones behave. Because like I said, you need to get hold of this kind of HPA axis dysfunction. You need to get hold of this burning low, burning out sort of situation. And when you get hold of that situation, that helps your body naturally make your yummy hormones again, the ones that I talked about the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, because you need a balance of all of those for your sex drive, not just the testosterone. You need a balance of everything. So when you eat, so within an hour of getting up, I I explained already, and then really every three to four hours, when you're trying to heal this whole HPA system, you really need to keep your blood sugar stable. And some people to do that need to eat even every two to three hours. And maybe, you know, I think three hours, about every three hours for most people works pretty well. Getting a small amount of protein, small amount of good carbs, small amount of good fats, super, super important. And there's lots of choices around that that, you know, to make. And one of the biggest things is to try to eat whole foods, not processed foods, to really try to get away from the package, the bottle, frozen All of those things, you know, foods that come in packages, you want to get away from that. You want to try to eat whole foods. Okay, so that's the, you know, some of my tips around the dine aspect. You really need to know the details. And, you know, I include these details in my programs because it's just so important. And I find that even when I sit down with my patients, even I see my new patients for an hour at a time, and there's not enough time in that hour visit to explain everything. So, That's why I kind of committed it all to a program, wrote it all down because I think it's so important. So the next D step is to ditch sugar. I know you're thinking, oh, what is she talking about, man? (laughs) So I, and I know because literally, 
you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm thin, I'm fit, whatever, but you can't even imagine how hard I have to work to stay this way. Both of my parents are diabetics. I have a terrible sweet tooth. So I know what it's like to have the, the sugar urge thing. But the good news is that it doesn't really take that long to have those, you know, you have those bad sugar cravings, but it doesn't take that long to really ditch sugar, to get rid of sugar. So a lot of people ask me about stevia and stevia is a decent substitute if you need a substitute. Even better, I love Lohan Guo. Yes. L-O-H-A-N-G-U-O. I love Lohan Guo because it's from, it's plant, it's a plant-based sweetener, but it's actually been used in Asia for hundreds of years to treat diabetes. So it doesn't raise your blood sugar at all. So when I really have to have something sweet, I usually put a little bit of Lohan Guo in something. I make like some little chocolate, you know, mixture with 100% cocoa. And I make these little truffle balls sometimes just from like coconut oil and cocoa powder and a little bit of Lohan Guo and a little bit of cashew butter. You mix that, roll it up together. It's like a little truffle. It's so yummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can tell I'm a sweet tooth girl and I definitely need my dessert. So I'm not telling you that you can't ever have dessert again. I'm just telling you that if you want it, like Wendy said, it's a choice. It's a choice. If you want your libido back, if you want your mood back, if you want your energy back, if you want your weight better, you've just got to make that choice to go with things that are different, things that are going to help you rather than the things that are going to hurt you. And I think women, you know, it can, uh, I know for me, it took me a long time to kick my sugar habit. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lifelong sugar habit. I know there's a lot of women out there really struggling. For me, it was my, my, my biggest hurdle that I had with my health and healing my adrenal glands, but it can be done, you know, and I still have a treat every once in a while. Um, but it's just one of those things I think that women have to just try every day. It's a, it's just like an addict almost. You have to take it one day at a time. It's absolutely an, an addictive thing. You know, they've even done studies. They showed that sugar, they did this study with mice and, um, cocaine versus Oreos. And believe it or not, they got more addicted to the Oreos than they did to the cocaine, as insane (laughs) as that is. So it is truly an addiction. So I don't want to, um, you know, I'm not saying it's not an addiction. And I'm not saying that just because I've gotten off of sugar that I've never gotten back on because it happens and it happens fast. But it's a matter of kind of nipping it in the bud faster and faster each time. You know, like if you go off the rails for a day or two or three or four or a week for a vacation, it's a matter of just getting right back on, back on the wagon, so to speak. Yeah, Rome is not built in a day. You have to continue working at it every day. And, you know, I think sugar is a lot worse than cocaine or heroin or anything else because, well, most people run into sugar a lot more often in their day than they're going to run into something like cocaine. You know, you can run into your 7-Eleven and go buy, you know, handfuls and gobs of sugar. So it's it's everywhere. And I know. I try not to even look check. at it. I try not to yeah. even look because yeah. you get those cues and then things start going off in your brain. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. There are places we should even avoid void altogether. You know, if you know you have a trigger place like Dunkin' Donuts or something, don't go, you know, Starbucks, stay away. Yes. Yes. So anyway, so that's the D for ditching sugar. Then a D that's obvious from everything I told you before, D for diminish alcohol and caffeine. So I'm not telling you to quit altogether. Personally, I love my wine. I'm not a big caffeine person, but I do do green tea and keep in mind that tea has only about a third the amount of caffeine in each cup 
versus coffee. So if you like to have that hot drink and you like the ritual around that, consider switching to green tea because you'll right away cut your caffeine in by a third or you'll cut it by two thirds actually because you'll yes. get down to a third yes. of what you had. Um, so that's one way to do it. Or of course you can do half calf, half decaf, but I ask people to try to cut down slowly because you don't want to bring on those headaches, that caffeine crash and stuff like that. So even if like, if you're at 16 ounces right now, you know, cut back to 14 ounces this week and then maybe next week cut down to 12 ounces, you know, go slowly with it. And you know, alcohol, you know, basically a lot of my patients are really shocked when I tell them for women, drinking three drinks or more is considered binge drinking. A lot of my patients are really shocked when I tell them, yeah, you actually are binge drinking on the weekends, whether you realize it or not. And like I said, I, I like my wine. I like, I like hard liquor. I like all kinds of alcohol. So I've definitely binge drank, you know, in my life. And, you know, it's just a matter of trying to control that on a regular basis. And I, you know, people always tell me, oh, well, I drink like eight drinks on the weekend or something. And I say, well, actually, I'd rather see you have those eight drinks spread out over the course of a week. It actually does make a difference on the whole HPA system, because like I said, it's a, it's an adrenal toxin. It's a, it's a problem with the HPA axis when you do alcohol and caffeine. All right. So the final D get ready. Final D is drop gluten and dairy. So I know that's a big one. I know that's a big ask. And personally, back when I told you when I was like, when I lost my libido and was, was doing really not so well, I was eating a big bagel in the morning, every morning, a cinnamon raisin bagel. So a huge sugar rush. I was eating, um, I was eating, uh, drinking a diet Coke because I said I wasn't a coffee person, but I needed some kind of caffeine. Right. So I was doing diet Cokes and, and cream cheese. And so I was breaking every rule just about that. I, that I told you and, you know, I never knew that I had any kind of sensitivity towards gluten or dairy. And just because you don't know it doesn't mean you don't have it. And nowadays, I'll tell you, so I do these, um, I do these really cool motorcycle trips with my husband. My husband is an excellent motorcycle rider, and I ride on the back. And I will tell you, recently, it came to light to me how sensitive to gluten and dairy I was in ter- and sugar in terms of my energy. So we were, we were riding along one day and we had a, um, they do coffee stops and this is in Europe. So of course the coffee is like amazing, right? They have these amazing lattes and, and these amazing scones and, and butter and cream. And, and I just couldn't resist. So at a coffee stop, you know, I had, you know, a, a scone with, with butter and cream and, and coffee with milk and, you know, the hot steamed milk. And it was amazing. And within an hour of getting back on the bike, Wendy, I am not kidding you. I was literally, I, I thought I was going to fall off the bike. <laughs> I, I said to my husband, I think I'm in real trouble here. I, I felt drunk. I felt like I just couldn't, I, I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. It was just awful. And Seriously, when you're off, because I had been off of gluten, dairy, and sugar, and when you're off of these things, it's when you really start to realize what they're doing to your body when you try them again. So you will, I promise you, you will never know what these things are doing to your body until you get off of them. And if you get off them for three weeks, you may see a huge difference in things you never would have imagined. I mean, first of all, the weight loss can be amazing. 
um, just getting people off cream in their coffee, like half and half in their coffee. I've had people lose 10 pounds just by doing that in a few weeks. It's amazing. But so your weight, you might see changes in your mood, your energy. You might see changes in your skin, changes in your nasal congestion. I mean, all kinds of things that you never thought would be related to these foods can definitely be related. So it's not like a, a Gwyneth Paltrow says to get off gluten sort of thing. You know, this is not a phase. There's tons of scientific research that validates the fact that probably a quarter to a half of us have this gluten sensitivity and probably the same for dairy. And there's other foods that could be involved too. You know, I know, so those of you who are watching this who know all about food sensitivities, you might be saying, well, Dr. Jen, what about soy? What about this? What about that? You know, yes, there are soy, corn, peanuts. There are other foods that you might be sensitive to as well. But I find the two most common are gluten and dairy. And I find, believe it or not, that they're not so hard to get rid of once you learn a couple of tips and a couple of tricks, because believe me, I used to be addicted to chocolate pudding with whipped cream. And if I could never have chocolate pudding with whipped cream again, I would be very unhappy. So I learned how to make non-dairy chocolate pudding and whipped cream. And it's amazing. And coconut is a big part of it. And I happen to love coconut. So that works really well for me. <laughs> yeah, there's always alternatives and substitutes. And, you know, for That's me, right. I used to hate like the 80% dark chocolate, but I learned to like it. And especially in the absence of milk chocolate or, or other things, <laughs> it tastes really, really good. Um, but yeah, you have to find like your fudge balls and you have to find those yummy substitutes. It may not be quite as good, but they are, you know, exploding with flavor when that or the only thing you've got? You know, I actually think that your taste buds really, you can reprogram them and you can change them. I mean, this was not a good, I'll, I'll tell you a substitution I did when I was really young. It was not a good one, but I was afraid that when I went to college that I would gain the freshman 15. So not knowing any better, I changed from Coke to Diet Coke thinking that that would help save me from the freshman 15. <laughs> Turns out the research is not with me on that one. But anyway, but it was amazing to me that at first I thought Diet Coke tasted like dog food. You know, I thought it was terrible. And then I was able to really enjoy it and not like Coke anymore. And I find the same thing with what you just said about like, I used to love milk chocolate. I used to love M&Ms, Hershey's, whatever, you know, Hershey's Kisses. Now I don't like that, that stuff at all anymore. I used to be addicted to Reese's peanut butter cups. Don't even like them anymore. We have you a know lot what? in common. <laughs> <laughs> what you said about the 80, 80% chocolate, chocolate, you know, I've gone from now, I was 70%. Now I'm all the way up to, there's one that I love that's 88%. And I absolutely love it. And I don't enjoy milk chocolate anymore at all because you get to this point where like now even an apple tastes ridiculously sweet to me because my Taste buds are just not used to that high sugar content. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dr. Jen, is there anything else that you want to add to our discussion about improving women's libido? You know, Wendy, I want to come back to something that we kind of just glanced over earlier in our conversation. You know, we talked about, I talked a lot about physical stressors that women need to be taking off themselves. But, you know, emotional stressors are a big deal too in terms of the fight or flight system. And I find that learning to say no is probably one of the most important things that we need to do to kind of take back our lives. You know, as women, we're, we're nurturers, we're, we're caretakers, and we tend sometimes to give too much of ourselves and to put ourselves very last on the list. And when self-care is low like that, 
resentment is high. And when, when you feel like everybody else around you is just putting so much on you and you feel overwhelmed and over, overburdened, sometimes it's time to take a look inside and say, hmm, you know, what am I doing that's not caring for myself? And how can I maybe say no to some things and say, start saying yes to me to start making myself feel better and to start decreasing my stress? You know, I find that there are so many people who feel that their stress is so out of control but they're not really doing enough to make themselves enough of a priority. And I really just want women who are listening today to hear, and men too, believe me, there are a lot of men who are guilty of the same thing, that if you are taking care of other people to the exclusion of taking care of yourself, if you're doing things for other people that they could and should be doing for themselves, start saying no a little bit, and you'll be surprised at how your stress can really decrease and how you actually can feel a lot more loving toward the people around you. I find that this can be a big issue with women's libido. You know, I created, you asked me about any links or whatever. So I created a program called Rewire Your Desire for women with low libido. And um, I created some free videos. So they're at rewiredesire.com. So it's a three free video series and it's all about how I help women bring back their sexuality and and more than just the stuff we talked about today, but some of this relationship stuff that I'm talking about now and other things. And, um, and then if you want to find out if you're burning up, burning low or burning out, I've got a quiz at three weeks to endless energy. You can take the quiz. You can find out where your adrenal system seems to be at. And, um, and I've got some information, free information for you there as well. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Landa. That was really, really informative because I know there's there's so many women out there that they're trying to be superwoman. They're trying to be everything to everyone. And you do. You have to uh, you know, take care of yourself first and learn to say no. And I think that's such an important message um, because then there's so many intelligent, uh, independent women that are listening to this podcast. It's my primary audience. And you do, you have to take care of yourself first if you're going to be able to take care of everybody else. Um, so Dr. Orlando, um, I have a question I'd like to ask all of my guests. What do you think is the most pressing issue or pressing health issue in the world today? Hmm. I think it truly is the food we eat. I think, unfortunately, you know, processed food has become the norm to such an extent that that it's really hard to tell people that this isn't the way that we were meant to eat. This isn't this isn't food. You know, this is processed junk. And that processed junk is just it's wearing away at us you know it's increasing our risk of diabetes of heart disease it's increasing childhood obesity and childhood diabetes i mean it's really it's a huge huge issue and we really need to kind of go back to basics in a way i say if your great grandmother wouldn't have recognized something as food then don't eat it yeah yeah absolutely i i totally agree with you because even when you're trying to eat healthy you are still constantly uh, being offered or see or go out to restaurants. There's just such a plethora of processed foods and it's can be really, really challenging to avoid those foods. We're just constantly exposed to it, just like sugar. Yeah. I mean, it's also really confusing. The education just isn't out there. You know, people, what people think is healthy. Like I know so many people who they're trying really hard to make the healthier choice or be healthier and the marketing messages are, are, are 
wrong a lot of times. You know, they're they're telling us things are healthy that aren't healthy. And so it's really confusing. You know, like moms raising kids think that juice is healthy, but juice is really just a lot of sugar. And they don't realize that juice isn't healthy. People are shocked all the time when I tell them that juice isn't healthy and they shouldn't drink juice. They're like, really? Yeah. It's <laughs> shocking to them. And I, and I understand why. And especially I live in Florida. Of all states, I live in the, you know, the orange sunshine state. And I tell people you shouldn't drink orange juice. And they're just shocked when I tell them that. And even my own son, he picked up, he wanted some orange juice. And I told him, look at the grams of sugar. You know, I'm training my kids to look at the packages and look at the foods and understand and evaluate. And he couldn't believe it. The container of orange juice he wanted was 44 grams of sugar, which is double, he knows, double the amount of sugar he's supposed to have for an entire day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, but, you know, he knows that, but most kids don't know that. Yeah. And that's almost as much as a can of Coke. I mean, you might as well yeah. just enjoy the Coke. <laughs> yeah, scary enough. For that price. <laughs> well, Dr. Landa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I know all the guests are just going to eat up what you just uh, just revealed on the podcast. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Wendy. I really appreciate it too. And sorry for the crazy camera, everybody. No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Having some technical difficulties, but it's okay. <laughs> Uh, but everyone, uh, thank you for thank you for listening and watching. And if you want to learn all about detoxification and my version of paleo, the modern paleo diet, and about my healing and detox program, Mineral Power, you can go to live2110.com. Also at mineralpower.com. I have a new website going up soon for Mineral Power. So thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast. <laughs>